Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Excuse me, listener. I am talking to you. Welcome to Homo Sapiens. And oh, we've got a really exciting episode today. We have got a bit of a superstar in the house. Adam Kay is coming on the podcast. Now, Adam is an incredibly funny writer, comedian, a gay man, as it happens, who, when his book, This Is Going to Hurt, which was The Secret Diaries of Being a Junior NHS Doctor, came out, he outsold Michelle Obama. The book became an international sensation, despite being this incredibly sort of specific story about the hardship of being a junior doctor in the NHS. It sold like hotcakes all over the world. I haven't said hotcakes in a while. Um, it is very, very funny. It is very, very honest. And in the book, he wrote an open letter to the then health secretary in the UK, Jeremy Hunt. And Jeremy Hunt at that time was basically saying that junior doctors were being greedy about their money. And because of the way that Adam connected with so many people, thousands of people started posting Jeremy Hunt copies of Adam's book, which meant that in the end, he, through writing these diaries, he actually got an audience with Jeremy Hunt. And he also got an audience with Matt Hancock at a later date. And as a result, many great services for junior doctors and where mental health have been implemented. So he does all this kind of incredible activism while being really funny and warm. If you haven't read the book, This Is Going to Hurt, it is an absolute masterpiece. I read it, cried my eyes out, and I laughed a thousand times. Then I started becoming one of those people who just tells everybody to read it. And here I am again, doing the same thing. He's currently got a new book out called Kay's Anatomy, which is a kid's book, which is a really kind of playful, brilliant book all about like, you know, the gross things the body does and stuff done in a really inventive, colourful way. So as ever, he's done it again. It's really great. But you know what I love about him is he just combines sort of brilliant comedy with a ton of activism. And his book, This Is Going to Hurt, the first book, is now being made into a TV show. Ben Whishaw's going to play him. Oh, I love Ben Whishaw. He's such an amazing actor. So it's all terribly exciting. But I could chatter here about what a wonderful person he is, or you could hear him yourself, listeners. So here is our lovely chat with Adam Kay. Your book, This Is Going to Hurt, I just devoured. I was the annoying person reading a book who's actually sort of reading it to my husband the whole time. <laughs> being like, <laughs> and like going, 
this this thing and you only tell half the story and they're like i don't understand what you're saying can you just keep the book to yourself and then i'll read it after you but the thing i loved about your book was that you managed to insert us all into this world about which we knew nothing and i wondered if one of the things that made you able to articulate so beautifully what it was like being a doctor is that there was there is a sense of you being an outsider in that world and i think very often queerness to use a catch-all for lgbtq plus gives you an outsiderdom that means that you view things through a slightly different filter i think that's very true of medicine Medicine, I've always thought, is a bit mm. like the army. It's very hierarchical. Yes. Um, it's an inverted commas traditional career. You know, you you progress yeah. up these ranks at a certain rate. You, you know, you call your boss, you know, Doctor Jones, Miss Smith, whatever. You know, surname basis with your boss is weird and old-fashioned. I mean it in the worst sense of the word, in which. It's also racist, it's homophobic, mm. it's misogynist. And these things are starting to get better. I think there was this this sort of dinosaur breed of consultants, not all of them by all means, but, uh, but, but there were certainly a lot of them who were sort of keeping this narrative going. And they're now happily retiring away. And now it's people my age who are the consultants and hopefully uh, slightly more enlightened, make make it a, a happier place mm. to work. But I think I've always felt a bit of an outsider wherever I've been. And I don't know if it's just to do with sexuality or it's my personality, full stop. I've never been worried about being cool, never particularly worried about what people think of me which is weird for someone who's published diaries about <laughs> about their life but it's sort of uh, <laughs> uh and so you know uh it's interesting you think that 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 read through my diaries they're diaries i wrote at the time so um they're hopefully reflective mm. of what i was thinking and uh and feeling uh, then but um i think a lot of people in medicine feel like outsiders even if they're not so Mm -hmm. I wrote about uh, spoiling the ending for people who haven't read it. Uh, I, I left medicine and I left medicine because I had a horrendous day at work. Um, I worked on a labor wards and all you ever want there is a healthy mum and a healthy baby. It was one of these nightmare situations where we ended up with, uh, with neither. And I realized that I wasn't cut out for the job. And I, I talk about how I struggled. I talked about crying. I talked about not coping. And I started getting messages um, from doctors saying that they thought they were the first person who'd ever cried in the locker room, who'd ever cried in the toilet, whoever, because it's a very, I don't know, you're a bloody doctor, you bloody get on with it is the is the attitude it's there's mm. quite a lot of machismo there and you're made to feel like you're the only person who's who's ever felt like they were drowning whereas in fact everyone feels like that and by making everyone feel that they're the outsider you isolate people even further and you make it less likely that they'll get through these events i mean the same applies throughout life is you know don't let the outsiders feel like outsiders welcome them in let them know that they're loved and let them know that they're normal 
Yes. And I think there's an image thing with medicine, isn't it? There is a, a received idea that there are people out there who can solve your medical woes and they are above being human. But that just is not true. Absolutely. It's unhelpful for the patients. It's unhelpful for the doctors. It's unhelpful for everyone, mm. for the doctor to think of themselves or be thought of as some sort of sort of superhero who's just going to... I yeah. get why people want their doctor to be a superhero. If they're about to take a scalpel and have a fiddle around in your brain, you you really <laughs> want them to be totally <laughs> unimpeachably correct and brilliant. I think things have got better now. Mm. And there's a balance to strike. Obviously, you don't want your doctor bursting into tears, but you want your doctor understanding yeah. you where you're sitting. I suppose there's two things we're talking about here, which I think are both equally interesting and one is like there has been historically a very narrow lane for what authority and trust yes. looks like in the army in medicine and that is traditionally like a a white older gentleman who's straight cisgendered and has you know one of those smart desks yeah. with wooden leather then secondly also this person doesn't talk about their feelings but they don't relay any of themselves within that and they're both pertinent for the lgbt community because if you're lgbt and you go to the doctor you can't really relate to those people and until the breadth of who we're getting as doctors opens up further it's always going to be more difficult wouldn't you say for lgbt people to be able to relate to their doctors I think so. I think I think you're you're absolutely right. I think huge strides have been made. There's an amazing initiative uh, with the Rainbow NHS badge that's been going a few years before anyone equated the rainbow with the NHS. I know they nicked it off us. Uh, we can share. We can be we can be grown up. <laughs> they, yeah, they can they borrow can it, it over when there's a pandemic. Um, but um, a, a doctor <laughs> called Mike Farker, I think, is the guy behind it, and. It just basically said, you wear this badge, your patient knows that, you know, you're someone who they can talk to about LGBT stuff and they're, they're an ally. If they're not a member of the community, then they're very close to it and, and they want to talk about any worries you've got. And um, lots of GP practices, have, there's a scheme going where, where you, you know, you do a certain number of things, you go on your training, you, you, know, you put up the certificate proudly behind reception saying, you know, we're a, mm. a, a LGBT accredited practice or whatever, whatever it is. And I think this is, this is all stuff that moves in the, in the right direction. It's brilliant that I didn't, I have not seen that or did not know about that. So that's, that's excellent. What are the other stuff that you see facing the LGBT community in medicine? Um, I'd like to think that I left medicine 10 years ago. Bloody hell. <laughs> it's been yeah, going no, it's all right. I just don't like, I don't like the way, the way time moves, but I, I, we don't really have any option, oh, yeah. do we? Um, and <laughs> I think it's better today compared to when I started medical school in whenever that was, 1998, to be an LGBT medical student or doctor uh, or patient, mm. because I've always suspected that medicine is probably about a decade behind the rest of society when it comes to a lot of things. <laughs> uh, and like mental health is, is a big one. So um, 
doctors mm. admitting that it's okay to struggle and you can talk about being depressed you can talk about going on medication for for mental health issues that's all something that we should be open about and it's only just in the last few years happening in medicine whereas that shift clicked in society mm. a while back and i think that mm. um with respect to the lgbt issues of which there are there are obviously many that relate to all walks of life including medicine um society in general moved forward a bit quicker than than medicine for whatever reason that is and it's probably just related to the fact that it's such a big ship to steer and it's such an old fashioned machine it's a it's an employer with one and a half million employees but th- you know things are getting better and um i don't have any numbers to support it but just anecdotally i think there are a mm. lot more out doctors than than there were 10 15 years ago is that something you had to do on the wards though is come out a lot no i would never really i kept my to be honest, I still keep my private life relatively private, so that might be more to do with me mm. than uh, it's to do with the profession. But, mm. you know, I wasn't seeing a huge number of LGBT patients because I worked uh, on labour wards uh, for the most part. You know, not to say that LGBT people don't appear on labour wards, obviously, but... I'm mostly dealing with a woman who I'm doing a cesarean on and my role there was mostly to to come in, save the day, produce a baby and then fuck off again. And there was a bit of it um, <laughs> in um, infertility clinics where it wasn't particularly well set up. The guidelines about who can get IVF weren't particularly fair, in my opinion, for, uh, for the LGBT community. Yeah. But I could certainly, I could certainly see it in Friends for whatever reason, there seemed to be certain specialties where it was easier to come out. So like uh, mm-hmm. psychiatry, infectious disease and, 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 and um, gum medicine were more enlightened, I guess. And then at the other end of the scale, there were the surgeons who were the sort of much more pinstriped army general type where mm. you can you can understand that what, why, why you might not want to talk about that side of things so much. You said a lovely thing, which was orthopaedics is reserved for the med school's rugby team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's... Which made me love. Orthopaedics is bones and it's banging and it's nailing and it's scraping. And uh, it's, you know, it's a manual, manual job. If you're good at putting up shelves, you'll probably be good at orthopaedics. And um, medicine's a bit... <laughs> It sort of becomes a bit mean girls and there's all these different cliques and tribes and that I don't think it's, it's unfair, uh, to, to suggest that there's an overrepresentation of the rugby team within orthopedic surgery, but it's, um, mm. It's not to say that there, you know, obviously there are, there, there are plenty of LGBT people within the, within the, the, the specialty. And I'd hate to generalize. In fact, one of the most famous orthopedic surgeons in the country is, is, is trans and uh, was the surgeon who operated on uh, Andy Murray and got him back to, you know, back to health. So, you know, obviously you can never generalize, but, um, yeah, there were, there were, I noticed mm. there were certain places where people were more likely to be, uh, to be out and pediatrics as well. To be honest, it's like the, the nicer specialties the, and the, the ones where the consultants weren't call me um, Professor Whoever. It was the ones where it was, you know, call me Pete. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. I suppose it's what we're talking about is like, and it is happening. But until the sort of image of what it, who is responsible is broadened, we're not going. It's going to continue to be quite narrow. But on the other side, you've spoken a lot about mental health for actual doctors, and I, I think the stat. I don't know if this is up to date, but that three doctors every week take their own life. I've heard the stat is one doctor every week takes their own life. Oh, I might be. I might be wrong, obviously. It was, uh, there was a study pulled together by Claire Gerarda, recently made a dame, Dame Claire Gerarda, who's uh, it's an amazing um, uh, GP and all sorts of other things, who, who runs the service for doctors who are, who are struggling. She basically made mental health, health amongst doctors a, a proper specialty. She invented it. Before her, it was not talked about. And she pulled together something in the British Medical Journal last year, which said it was one doctor every week takes their, their own life, which is it's unimaginable. If there was any other organisation where that was happening, that would be a crisis. That would be number numbers one to ten on the agenda for the week. We need to stop this ever happening ever again. And I think things are mm. getting better. It is now talking about something is always the first step, isn't it? Because and until it's talked about, you're never yeah. going to reach a solution. You're never going to affect change. But it's now definitely being being talked about, and and fingers crossed, things are getting better. Mm, because alcohol and drugs ends up being a huge yeah. thing without being able to talk. People use those things to regulate what's the they, traumas they're going they, through. They, suppose, they do. Right? And it, it's an impossibly difficult job. And you're not actually taught your coping mechanisms. So my coping mechanism, it turned out, was writing diaries. And that's what I was doing when I was writing mm. these diaries down. I was looking for the funny stuff and the silly stuff as a way of dealing with the with the awful stuff. As it turned out, that mm. wasn't enough of a coping mechanism, this sort of homebrew thing that I had come up with. <laughs> and for other other people, it's even less healthy things. So there's a huge alcohol problem in medicine. There's a huge problem with addiction to prescription medicine and to recreational substances. And a lot of people leave the profession. There's an absolute crisis in recruitment and retention of staff. And the very worst of it, obviously, is that um, some doctors take their own lives. And, you know, that's un it's unacceptable. Mm. We need to be doing more and more and more. And however much we're doing, while the stats still look like that, we're not doing enough. And were you always like this? Were you always someone, going back to growing up, were you someone who would write to metabolize what was going on? What kind of kid uh, were you? I, f I was 
a little shit, I think. That's the <laughs> tribe I belong to at school. I think I think that means clever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Always yeah, very bright. Was, um <laughs> I went to this the, the, through the sort of education system. There was a sausage factory for doctors and lawyers, and it was all about exams and exams and get as many GCSEs as you can and learn as many musical instruments and uh, uh, and play as many sports. And this was in London, uh, right? It was in London, yeah, sort of a London minor public school. And um, I suspect there aren't many schools that are still like that now, but I don't think it makes for a rounded individual. Like when I went to university, mm. that was the first time I'd really ever spoken to a girl. And why would you make kids <laughs> grow up in an environment where where that they've not been exposed to fifty percent of human beings? Uh, but and but as a result of that system, I was a, I was a bit of a swat. I was I was a music nerd. I wouldn't want to hang out with me, uh, but uh, we <laughs> we are where we are. But I did uh, I did always enjoy writing. It's something I've always done. Mm. Unfortunately, I was or fortunately or however it, I know it's fortunate. It's, it was an amazing job. It is an amazing, wonderful job, medicine. But I was very much steered towards a sensible inverted commas mm. job mm. like uh, like medicine. I'm from a family of doctors. It is an amazing, great job, and it's all they knew. My parents. Yeah. So if I'd have, if I'd have, I think I assume people want the best for their kids. That's the thing, right? And so um, they, you know, they wanted the best On for occasion. me, which was, you know, to to sort of transform my GCSE grades into a, a safe profession, a job for life, mm. a great job where you do a good thing. And so I was a bit steered towards medicine, and it, it didn't really occur to them. That jobs existed in the arts because that wasn't their world. Right. Them and their mates. Whereas my my husband, on the other hand, his dad is an advertising exec, and James grew up in creative land. And he's I'm one of four, and we're our degrees were medicine, 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 law, and <laughs> uh, and he's one of four, and uh, <laughs> he works in telly. Sister works in telly. Brother works in telly, other brother works in music. So it's like for them, that was the, the normal and it would have been abnormal for them maybe to end up in the mm. medicine side of things. Mm. But anyway, um, but I never stopped writing and it never occurred to me that I was doing it in order to, to cope or whatever. Mm. I don't know why I was doing it. It's just the thing that I did. It's the thing that I still do, you know, as well as the, um, the books that I write or the, the columns I write or whatever I'm contracted to do on a script or whatever. Mm. I'm still scribbling things down. I've never wanted, you know, the funny moment that, that you might, you know, text someone about this thing that happened. I'm, for me, it's always, yeah. I'll write it down. I'll, I'll keep it. And, and I'm glad I did actually, because, uh, turns out some other people wanted to read it. Yeah. Just a few. It's so funny you say that because, um, I was listening to a thing with comedians the other day, comedians talking about their process. And they were saying that if they were, this is in America. So it's slight, it is different. They're a bit more. Um, a bit more pro at stuff than the Brits, I would say. We're always sort of pretending we don't really... Oh, whoops, I didn't realise. Um, oh, no, I accidentally wrote a script. Yes, exactly. Oh, it's dreadful and you mustn't read it. Um, <laughs> but they said that when you're talking about the thing, how you write things down, they were saying that if they're in a group and something interesting happens, they all have to agree between them. Like, guys, do you mind if I use that? Oh, actually, I was going to use it. <laughs> 
at what point do you just stop enjoying your life it's if you're in that mode i just sort of yeah that's really interesting um uh, David Sedaris, the amazing uh, American writer, humorist, genius, yes. uh, talks uh, talks a lot about about this. The the fact that his poor family are the unwilling, yes. unwitting stars of everything he he writes. Yes, and so do you diarize your life now? I do. Yeah, I've always. Um, so we're all. I can, I can two years away from reading what's what's happened next basically yeah i don't want people to stop talking to me just in case that you know if they shit themselves on a podcast then uh, then it's going to turn up in a book yeah i've done that so many times i mean it wouldn't be your editor would cut it out but when you say you were a little shit in what way was that because you're a smart ass it wasn't just that i was a smart ass it was that it was sort of indulged right yeah so there was no one normal saying can you just not do that yeah but you know, stop being a show off and i suppose the you were smart and then one of the things you've said a lot is that smart people become doctors you know and and it's sort of i suppose it was that channel perhaps that took you in that direction i think they should massively drop the entry requirements for medicine mm. i don't think you need to have straight a's at a level I'm certain you don't need to have that to be a brilliant doctor because it isn't a job where you have to memorise and recite biochemical pathways. No. Um, it's a communications job mm. and we should be getting the best communicators um, you know, in. It should be pretty much all on the interview. And we recruit people because of their grades, because of their extracurricular activities. And the, extra the more fancy your school is, the more likely you're able to have harpsichord lessons and, uh, you know, and play lacrosse for the county yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And that's very exclusionary. And added to that, they want people to have work experience within the medical profession. And that was very easy for me to get work experience in a, in a hospital because that involves my dad phoning his mate. And, but if you're in a world where, which let's be honest, most people are, where your parents don't hang out with doctors the whole time. It makes it a thousand times harder mm. to, to get the things that the medical schools want you to have. And you end up with a profession that doesn't represent society. Yeah. And it's a, it's a profession that, of all professions, that really must represent society. And we come back to what we were talking about before, about, you know, why is it a bit you know, backwards to use that word mm. in terms of, you know, uh, looking after minority groups, um, either as their, their patients or as their colleagues, it's because they're perpetuating keeping posh white people getting into medical school. There is a thread of that discussion, which is about if you haven't seen it, you're not going to know the intricacies of what it is so if you haven't met trans kids or you haven't spent time with queer yes. people you're not yes. going to be able to step into their shoes and understand what the very real truth of what they're going through is yes and it applies not just to gender and sexuality mm. it applies to race and medicine's got better at the at the race side of side of things i think gender sexuality is is probably a generation after the country getting better to a certain extent about racial equality 
what were the issues that you saw and or what are they now you're still very plugged into that world surrounding race in medicine I mean I'm not very well placed to answer the question because I'm because I'm a white bloke two white men talking about it is not that useful exactly but that said there is overt racism I've got a friend who is in the middle of a tribunal based on discrimination on the grounds of 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 race in a in a UK hospital in 2020 really? and that's obviously awful and um we just need to I mean it's like we we want our politicians to reflect all of us we want every profession to represent mm. all of us and uh, and medicine is medicine's crucial to that and LGBT people obviously do have medical needs that are, are you know, obviously slightly different mm. to um, a lot of the rest of society. And if people don't go to their doctors for whatever reason, that's never a good thing. Yeah. And we need to do whatever we can to make sure that it's a welcoming place where there'll be no iota of judgment mm. and they feel absolutely safe that's that's the that's the bottom line isn't it mm, it really is really we owe it to ah my old landline is ringing hang on one <laughs> sec let me just go and unplug it <laughs> hi sorry my no one ever ever rings that phone like it's i don't even know why it's plugged in sorry about that adam that's all right i've got a landline as well it's used for finding my mobile <laughs> it's used for finding a mobile and for my mum or my husband's mum to get in touch with us oh. basically that's all that's the only people who ring on it it was probably my mother actually she's probably, <laughs> she's probably fallen over had a terrible fall and i've just unplugged the phone she's absolutely um, fine <laughs> <laughs> she's fine we'll find out in a minute <laughs> Delightful, that man. Oh, Adam Kay for president. President, prime minister. Mm. This is the end of part one with Adam Kay. Come back to part two. More fun, more japes, more Adam Kay. What more could you ask for? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.